0: namo tathagata bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhaso namo tathagata rahato samma sambuddhaso namo tathagata bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhaso Udham namam sangham namasami talk about one-pointedness what that is and why it's important I think we all recognise how blurred and agitated uh, one's mental and emotional um, experience can be Um, so need to somehow get some reference to that we want to calm it, clarify it you can also recognize that the very efforts we make towards calming, clarifying can produce um, agitation, tension uh, whereby it's nice and steady now but actually we're not seeing the real thing anymore Mm. You see what I mean? <coughs> One of the things that takes um, a lot of cultivation is how to experience things naturally, You know the natural qualities of what's happening for us so we really get some insight into um, what moves us, what bothers us, what gives us joy, the way things really are. Um, There's that sense of naturalness, and yet it's also held clearly. It's not casual. It's not nonchalant, natural. It's kind of there's there's a clarity and a a focus around that. Uh, And very often, certainly my own practice, a lot of it has been seesawing around, trying to just be natural and allow things to be the way they are. And then at times think, well, the way things are isn't really that, <laughs> isn't that good. <laughs> it's just kind of tumbling around. Uh, uh, so yeah, I want to get get to grips with this, come to terms with this. Really, what's this about? Focus on it. And then the other extreme, holding it so so tightly that actually, yeah, you know, it's all there, but it's kind of controlled and sealed up. So you know, the, the very creature one wanted to understand has disappeared. Mm. Well, one feels that meditation is becoming rather kind of uh, contrived or hothouse meditation that is just it only exists in certain extremely rarefied circumstances. Mm. And perhaps more to the point um the, the the sense of what's the volition, what's the what's the quality of effort, what's the intent, what's the application that brings about one pointness? Is it something that's just trying to um, sterilise everything, or the very act of, of meditating becomes almost like a um, paralyzing or forceful, or we can't do it because it's too tight, if there's no room to breathe anymore literally, you know, when it was breathing okay until you started meditating on it, and then, you know, your very active meditating seems to kind of trap or freeze things up because you want to get it right and not get it wrong and make sure you're doing it properly and all that. So it becomes a source of agitation rather than calm. And these are, to my mind, some of the, the um, difficulties around one-pointedness, even though, yeah, you know, we want to get that sense of everything's here, everything's clear we can see what's going on and you know, also one can realize, well actually, as you begin to feel the process of experience, a lot of it's just running along, rolling along, rumbling along uh, from this to that, to this to that Cause to effect, cause to effect, cause to effect, effect triggering the next cause. Where is the liberation in this? Um, you know, it can go happy, sad, good, bad, up, down. Where, where's the way out of that that cycle of cause and effect? In at least in my way of approximating towards that, I would say, you know, the present moment is the only place where it's really going to stop or not be there. You know, if you like, cause and effect is, is if you like, moving from something that's happened being pushed towards something, is about, you know, to, towards creating something or stopping something. So it's a kind of something whereby, um, you know, the cycle of cause and effect is a temporal one. We go from this to that, and that triggers off that, which then goes to that. So it's kind of moving on. Where does time stop? You know. Where do you get to the end of time? You, you can, it's only really in the very present moment where the future and the past, the sense of time stops. Hmm. So, liberation from that cause and effect experience, from the push of that, from the residues and the effects and the got to make more, got to change it, whatever, that kind of ongoing current it can only really be in my estimation just right now you know. oh. you know, right now there isn't anybody or it's just this it's a sense of just immediacy and openness and that's a of obviously that's just a very colloquial expression a way of trying to I mean it is one pointedness. One pointedness in the present. I think this is useful for really recognising where one pointedness arises in meditation. Because we can we want to meditate, we want to get good if results and so forth, you know, that's true and we can get calm and then we can lose it again Um, and this we might say is the is the karmic process of it putting the good causes, you get the good effects and you get better at it you do the right things and so forth whereas the the release or the liberation experience in meditation is when it's just the present moment and it seems to me that the whole process of The causality of it, the karma of meditation, is to generate both enough sense of ease and relaxation and clarity that we can, say, just be in the present moment. We're not worried, we're not uh, excited, we're not moving on to something else, we're not carrying residues, we've cleared that. So, okay, now I can, if you like, stop still, because there's nothing really bothering me or pushing me around, nothing I've got to do or make. So oh, yeah, hmm. so that is the clearing of the hindrances, and as if you like, there's the both the faith and the support to really balance in the present moment. It is rather like doing a headstand. You know, when you actually get into true in a headstand, it feels effortless because everything is just really aligned. But to get there, you know. You had to put the effort in—an active face, standing on your head, definitely, probably rolling over and hitting the floor a few times, and then getting the seesawing balance until you know somehow the, the skeleton and the muscles line up, and then oh, you're in it, it's, it's quite delightful. You know, there's that balance, I mean, it's come around. You can't do it on a on a on a bus, for example, when it's. Jolting along, you've got to do it somewhere. It's very steady and calm. You're not being bothered by other things, and and then you develop the kind of strengths and uh, the um, finesse to, to be able to move into that particular position. And it's uh, then it's very, very, it feels very lovely. It's um, a very light, balanced feeling. Tr- in, really and true. Mm. This is very. To my mind, something what one-pointedness is about, it feels like that. It's not a holding it all, you know, constricted state, but just being really right and true in the present moment. Things feel effortless. But that took effort, and it took supportive conditions, and it took strength, and it took trying to find the balance to, to do that. And in that balanced state, when there isn't a lot of strain and things we're trying to resist and things we're trying to get hold of, then it seems to me that a lot of the boundaries disappear. The sense of, you know, being constricted or being pushed or being even, um, all that starts to fall away. Mm. Normally we experience a kind of pressure. You You might say that if you liken that to your body, when you're sitting, uh, trying to find a correct sitting posture, at first it's just a matter of taking quite a bit of time to find the place where you're not having to kind of feel you're forcing your back up right or it's just sagging. And yet there is a place where it can be really lined up and it feels just like it's in balance. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of effort going into it, things have lined up. I've been talking a little bit about, just about posture, you know it's an obvious analogy and it's quite meaningful Um, because in that when one finds oneself in correct posture then one of the beauties of it is that the sense of the body begins to dissolve because there isn't the slight pressure here and the tension there and the slackness there and the weight hanging there that you're kind of holding against um, that we associate with a lot of bodily experience it was leaning on something somehow so there's a pressure where one's leaning or a bit of your body really isn't properly there so there's a sagging It means other parts have got to take more of the strain or there's a, some sense of tightness in the head or the neck through emotional psychological experiences so we've got this kind of you can feel your body as something that's was that tissues are wrapped around you in a rather tight uncomfortable way and yet when there's true alignment that that begins to dissolve and the sense of the boundaries of the body becomes much more ephemeral I'm here and there's this throbbing and pulsing and substance subtle suffusions, but the, the sense of the, the limitations of the body begins to disappear, it's like the body seems to be much more permeable um, and that's one of the uh, benefits of, of a good sitting posture um, and that's really helpful because then uh, the one's energies, one's bodily energies are not constricted by the pressures or the tensions or, or the numbnesses that we often get used to in bodily life. When those bodily energies are unconstricted in that way, there's no they don't have the pressure, they begin to calm and become level and rhythmic, and they become a suitable focus for meditation. To calm you down. But without that then there can be a lot of struggling and holding it tight and how long for and toughing it out and those kinds of things and even though it's, one can make quite admirable efforts to do in that way it's not arriving at this place of, of lightness where true one-pointedness becomes a natural result it's not something you do you don't drag everything together into one point things come into one point because there's no need to go anywhere else things are fine, things are floating mm. In terms of what we might say our mind you know I tend to use two words for this because there are two features of that, the citta experience which is the effective um, you might say emotive volitional um, source where we feel moved Mm. and mano which is more the uh, rational or the defining experience that conceives, it says, "Oh, that's that." It names and labels, and conceives and puts things into boxes and so on. It's one of these. It's one of those. It's like a secretary. Um, so, um, citta. So I'm using heart for citta, and mind for manor. Although there are different translations of those. So both of these are, are applied in in meditation. You know, sense of, of heart is our willingness, our inspiration, our sense of right intent. You know, this way, and the sense of manol is the mindfulness that is the ability to discern. This is this. You know. So. Um, and these two then can contribute are important in contributing towards the process of one pointedness because um, obviously there has to be the 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 willingness so one's heart is really in it you know there's a one pointedness of heart this is what I want to be with this is what I feel good about this is where my faith is this is where the gladness is is that and there's one point in this in terms of one's, um, um, one's mind. That is, we know what we're doing. We're with it. Uh, we're attentive to it. Mm. And you're able to discern, oh, here's where the imbalance is. That's a snag there. This is not quite in tune. That feels out. So we can, you know, there's a kind of dialogue can occur between the mind and the heart and the body. So we begin to, rather like doing your down, feel out where the tensions and the imbalances are until things begin to come into true. Mm. There can be quite a lot of uh, conflict between mind and heart. Even when we talk in those terms, the mind can be something that's just uh, functional, dry and um, heartless, if you like. Mm. Mm. And the heart can be that which is wild. undirected reactive flaring up moody and so on and so these two purified and brought together and uh, the process of of this is, is outlined in these particular factors viveka, vitaka, vichara, viti, sukha so viveka, the sense of settling back or kind of withdrawn from um, activity withdrawn from, from distractions withdrawn from hindrances so this kind of collecting so that's an element of one-pointedness settled Settled back. Mm. You yeah. we feel we're tensed up, we're pushing forward, and can't just come back, come into the present. It's rather like that. It's not a suppressive thing. It's just, just, just feel. Often we we feel like we're leaning forward in our meditation, literally, and sometimes. Psychologically, you know, when do I get to it? What can I do? What am I going to make of it? Just just settle back. Where are you right now? It's like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then, Vitaka Vichara are two uh, factors to do with uh, shaping up that one pointedness, that balance shape up a meditation object, the takra is the ability to just it's a function of mindfulness or associated with mindfulness it's that which gets to the point Um, so this word is translated sometimes as uh, initial thought or thought conception or even mental application so it's to do with that which can think that which can bring an object to the conceiving mind to the mano. So, you know, so it's like remembering or acknowledging something what's that? it's oh that was vitaka at work <laughs> you know oh it's like an acknowledgement recognition oh. bringing something to mind hmm. there yeah. it doesn't mean rambling on about it This, this and that no, it just means bringing it to mind, here, here, here. And so there's there's an element of concentration because it it says just hold this, this one, this, this, this. Hmm. And vichara uh, accompanies that, which is the sense of exploring, getting the meaning of it. You, know, you might say something like, "If if the vitaka holds it, the vichara gets it." Oh, it's that. Oh, yeah, I know. It feels like that. Mm. And these two um, do relate to mind and heart functions. So the vitaka is that what we call the mano function that it conceives. Avicara senses into it, mm. which is more the chitta function. Oh, it's like this. Mm. Get the effect. Get the feeling. Feel it. Mm. So those two provide help us, the mind to bond into to what's going on, because we both, you know, define something, shape it up, and then get it. Get the taste of it. Get the feeling of it. You know, it's like when you're balancing that which, you know, you're trying to get the sense of being upright. And this feels a little bit out, and that doesn't feel straight. And that, oh, that's it. Yeah, there it is. That's vitakavichara. Vichara Piti is joy, rapture. And sukha means ease or happiness. And uh, pity uh, is is not a feeling it's as such, though know, it's as often associated with feeling. feelings can be gladness, for example. I was talking about that the other day. Uh, sukha ease, but those are feeling. And, and rapture is is uh, considered to be a sankara, which means there's a certain activity there, a certain formation, which is, so sometimes it's translated as joyful interest. But one's keen, it's so a little more than a feeling, you know, keenness in the English sense of the word could be a feeling, but it's not pleasure, pain, it's a sense of bright, with it, you know, and taking interest and being um, joyfully interested in what one's doing. And pity isn't always a wholesome thing, So, you know, you can take a joyful interest in watching dogs fight or bullfights or or wrestling matches or pornography or, you know, sadism, you know, you'll get a sense of pity out of it otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. They don't find it depressing, there's some kind of sense of joyful and interest there. So the pity in meditation (coughs) is based upon Viveka, you know, sense of one is settled and the right in, intent. And right intent, you know, that which leads us out of suffering right, based on right view, is what vittaka and vichara are the, act, are the act, they come from that place. That is when we're, when we are shaping something up is with the right intent this is skillful, this is helpful, this is calming this is clarifying You know, so it's not, the Vittaka Vichara is not just a a cold thing of, but something that's that's bringing a wholesome and benevolent um, influence so when we meditate, it's with that that Vittaka Vichara, that mental application that's associated with um, Dhamma, associated with our well-being, associated with um, skillfulness. The, the, the well-being that comes from skillfulness. The sense of lightness, brightness, ease, peace, harmony. These things. Mm. So you should always meditate with that aim in mind and find out both your meditation object and your meditation technique based upon you know what will do that for you. Mm. So don't take a technique or an object just cold from a page but you know you get you know it comes from really what in my here and now process can I apply myself to in a one-pointed way with a feeling of, oh, this is, is, I'm with this, you know this is doing me good this is for my welfare, this is calming it's giving me clarity, it's wholesome and we might even say within you know, the standard meditation themes and all kinds of ways of meditating on the breath, for example Mm -hmm. which is a pretty standard meditation theme or meditating on the body you can focus on the physical muscular sensations or the, the respiration or the energy flows and different patterns of energy flow. You can be in your chest or your abdomen or your nose or all over your body or anywhere it feels good. Um, as long as you, you know, you're actually getting the sense of skillful application, not strained application or dry application, but application that's got joyful interest in it. So, certainly for myself, the um, quality of joyful interest is enhanced by something that actually has a nice feel to it. You know, so, I find that the suffusive um, quality of breathing to me feels pleasant, you know, the sense of it moving through the body energies of that feel pleasing to me my body feels relaxed and happy with that I can feel it tingling in my hands, I can feel it flooding, subtly flooding the body, my body's pleased with that it likes that I don't feel kind of strapped down and constricted and making an intense heavy handed effort to try and focus on my breathing in some, some way like that so to me, this is a sense of joyful interest in it, and it's based on you know right intent. But it isn't always that way for everybody. It seems that the, the fundamental standard of precision that the Buddha mentioned in terms of mindfulness of breathing is just to know this is breathing in and breathing out and so that's it, that's the standard it doesn't really seem to, didn't seem to the Buddha well if one looks at the Buddha's teaching he didn't say in 45 years there's no record of ever saying where one should feel the breathing you know, which, if, he, if it was that important, you think he might have mentioned it once or twice. But it doesn't seem to be any record of it. So, but he does say, always in, always out. You know, then long breathing, breathing short as the breath pattern begins to change. So, you know, that seems to be the standard. The difference between breathing in and and breathing out, and where, how you can get with that because that has a particular calming and uh, settling effect energetically to your body and if the body feels like that it becomes a a supportive object for piti joyful interest and ease sukha Mm. which lead to one-pointedness there's the one point in this is said to be based upon Viveka, based upon that, fundamentally, that sense of, of um, settled settledness of heart, settledness of mind, or is it dejected or hankering? and it's not a frantic one and it's not a proliferating one it's just a very clean shaping something up carefully holding it there and feeling it out so one factor of PT in this sense is the quality of the object but another very significant factor is the quality of the activity that's going on. And this is what really, in a way, makes it, this kind of pity unique to meditation. Because, of course, we might very well experience pity uh, watching the sea come in, watching a sunset, just feeling the sense of awe and joyful interest in a, in a beautiful object, something like that. And this is, is fine, of course. Um, but in meditation, that's only one part of it. The other part is that one is doing a particular kind of work, if you like. And it's the it's the sort of sense of working something, rather like massaging something, or or mixing something up, or shaping something. There's a particular quality of, of subtle. Careful activity is the other factor that comes in to produce this effect. One is actually interested and engaging in a way. We're handling something. There's a difference, isn't there, from when we are spectators to when we're participators. So... An interesting thing is that, for example, one, one can get a sense of that quality of pity when one was doing some engaged in a particular task or work that isn't that wonderful to look at really, you know. So sometimes uh, just physical work can be associated with that because one is operating within one's boundaries, within one's energy, one's doing something one's interested in, one's perhaps with people who are cooperative, working together, and it's a sense of well, this is good you know, it's just mixing cement or it's just plastering a wall or it's just painting or it's just gardening actually it's good because there's skillful work going on there's a sense of joyful interest in what one's doing it may look grubby, may, you know, not look very good but the very nature of the activity and when you get into a flow with that It's strange enough there is a quality of ease of heart that occurs. Even though physically when you're doing physical work your body might get quite tired. When you get into the right rhythm of it, then it feels easeful to the heart. Remember many years many years it was many years ago indeed, when I I was kinda working for a living to earn money. I always find it you know, we've been a Workshop or a workplace, and some of the men just kind of want to hang around a lot hang around and read the paper, or smoke cigarettes, or grumble. Um, you know, and, well, it's tea time now, okay. Well, now, Alan, we go, Oh, what do we want to do this for? Oh, I think have a fag light up. And, and so, actually, they weren't doing a lot of work. And to me, that was actually much less easeful than doing the work. So I'd often say, oh look, I'd just like to do some work. Because <laughs> it's much less wear and tear on my, on my mind and all the kind of negative behaviour. I find it less less strain just doing the work than, than grumbling about it. <laughs> and not doing it and, and finding ways you can get out of it and malingering and you know, continually breaking rhythm. Can we just get into a flow, you know. I often end up, you know, working on my own <laughs> <laughs> because I'd sooner get in and do it uh, you know, it's actually uh, some feeling of getting into a rhythm and, and a sense of ease of heart coming out of that rather than always you know, half starting, stopping drawing back and so forth, so you know that sense of the working aspect of it means that there can be vigour um, but it's not a, a forced, obliged vigor. It's an interested vigor in one's practice, hmm. keenness. And I think this is a feature that we, I really recommend for, you know, developing this in in one's sangha life, one's duties in a monastery, you know, finding that balance where one's not just getting overwhelmed, but there is a sense of you know, know, setting things up with a sense of keenness. Let's set things up for the meal, let's tidy up the dumb hall, let's do this. And there's a, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be that slow or calm even. There's a quality of ease that can come out of that because it, it is done with joy. And ease is the sense of feeling contented with what one's doing. One is happy to be here. One is contented with it. Um, so again, developing that one is content with one's requisites, one's robes, one's lodging, with one's practice, with people we're with. And it, of course, this all this stuff is classically unsatisfactory. So you know, and, and we are ourselves, you know, fallible and imperfect and so forth. So where does contentment come from? Is it saying everything's just wonderful and all right? No, no, that's that's kind of rather naive, but saying, well okay, there's the rough and there's the difficult, yeah but I'm okay with this, I'm working with this. You know, so there's contentment which is not complacent. And then we do with that, find a a feeling of, I'm with this, you know, there's a quality of one-pointedness. I'm really going to be with this. Mm. Even if it's difficult. Mm. And it tests me. I want to be with this. So you see how all those factors do bring one into the present moment. Piti is is quite a, a crucial factor because it can um, swing either way. We um, one of the skills of meditation is knowing how to handle the effect of piti because a piti is a is a sankara, it's an activator. So we can get buzzy with it. It can uh, we can get excited. Is is the 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 um, When PT fails, we get overcharged, too charged up. And it takes us, uh, it unbalances our energies. And the balance of balancing PT is very much one of why in my mind anyway, my experience, body meditation is helpful because you've got a tangible, physical sensation that you can keep grounding that rather uh, charging energy with. Mm. It may not be a big problem for you, you know, maybe you don't get any pity at all. But, But if you do, or if it does happen for you, then you can find yourself suddenly, you know, kind of buzzing, and it's great in a way, but then it's kind of like fireworks, it's fizzy, and you think, oh, you know, just, you know, you, one isn't really getting the sense of ease and and, and one pointedness with it, it's, it becomes rather disturbing. Mm. So then, being able to focus into the body and feel, you know, match that psychological or emotive energy with the somatic or bodily energy, so breathing out, breathing it down or feeling into the the, the energy in the body and being able to ground that, you know, the body sitting on the ground, standing down to the soles of the feet standing meditation, you know when we focus, we can focus on the ground beneath us that the energy centers in the soles of the feet, the palms of the hand align one's body energetically so you can feel you're standing right above this point and uh, just developing those awareness of those energy lines and connecting them always to the ground beneath at least And. Uh, ideally the space above and around but certainly the ground beneath so that then that gives it like an earth line for the the, the charging effects to be discharged into without crushing them without cutting them off because they have a part to play and we can also contemplate the um, the the unsatisfactory quality of pity, so it becomes less enamored of it, less fascinated by it um, certainly in my well my mind when it gets affected by pity, it, it just often stimulates a lot of images and thoughts, happy thoughts, pleasant images, you know kind of, but eventually this gets a bit. Uh, yeah. Enough already, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, can turn the music down, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Enough, I like it to be quiet. Huh? And it, you know, it can't turn it off. It's kind of bubbling away. That's a nice idea. Turning off—that's a good idea. It, it, it kind of swings back into into thought, over stimulating thought. So I've got a thoughtful mind. For other people, it might be more emotional, you know. So just coming into the body, breathing, and for myself, just being able to breathe, breathe down, breathe out, breathe in, and breathe out as an Something that moderates energy—it's the, the flow of that. It's not about always breathing in, you know, going up and brightening. Nor is it always about breathing out. It's about the moderation of that. So, you know, when one's intent is upon one-pointedness, one understands one-pointedness—not to really, like, be a fixation, or even one-pointedness that's holding an object tight one point is a state of rested balance in the here and now and with that my sense of that is more that the the meditation object flows through that point it's like it's like when you see a wave coming in from the sea and the wave rises and then there's a point where it rolls over comes in, it touches the shore and the wave breaks and rolls over and it runs up the beach and runs down again well, meditation signs often have got an energetic quality to them a certain pulsing or brightness, flowing quality breathing itself is moving and it getting to just to the point, if you like, of the wave break, just when it's turning and you keep your focus there, even as the wave passes through that and the next one comes up, you're focusing on one particular place, or letting the breath, or whatever, move through that. So your one-pointedness is on the object, but not exactly on the object, it's on the present manifestation of that object, as it moves in the present moment. So you're not holding the object, you're not trying to get rigid around it. So that seems to me to provide the kind of spaciousness and looseness that is easeful and yet it's also got the focus and the precision. So you know, it's kind of, even if this may be a little ways away as an experience, just getting that sense of right intent towards that, uh, uh, that uh, our aim is towards that, and developing that as a habit, you know, we can feel the past pushing and the present and the future tugging. Right now, where's the wave break? Where's the present moment right now? You know, where's the so with that, we come beneath the surface of our thinking, which is going about tomorrow and yesterday and him and her and that and this and the other. Oh, this is this is the anxiety. So it reveals something when you come into the present. You pass the, the sheen and the gloss of experience into the real core of it. And then, because uh, anxiety is a feature of samsara. Because it's always things are always changing. So things are never entirely certain. Things are not quite finished. Things are not quite tidied up. There's something going to happen that we haven't quite, we don't quite know. You know? But in the present, we can almost, f- almost sense that flow of experience. Being, this is all it ever could be, it can only ever be like that. And right in the present moment, it's empty, it's, it's open, it's free. It neither was nor will be. And that that emptiness, the boundaries, the kind of tightening and the resisting and the leaning forward and the holding on and the hoping it won't and getting prepared for that. All those tightening psychological experiences can be relaxed so then the boundaries of self begin to open up who is this? what is this? Hmm. this is release Can, you know have meditation objects and use those to build up these strengths and facilities and also if no meditation object just the very present moment mm. and whatever's patterned in that uh, and ideally using both of those if we if we only use this what's happening in the present moment sometimes it's difficult to maintain the same sense of real, you know, clarity without getting caught in the patterns of samsara. If we only have it in meditation, then the problem is that we can, you know, feel that one point is something that's purely about being on a particular object. You know, so then you get kind of rather obsessive or constricted around that. But it is, it is a training a whole attitudinal training and a training of mindfulness, the training of hearness and joyfulness and focus and mental application in what we do. Mm. Anyone? <coughs> Uh